words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. So this morning we're talking about Rehoboam and Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Yeah. So, and the idea is about stewarding transition. They're like taking care of changing seasons. As the seasons begin to change, we have to be of one heart of the another heart. So I need all of you to realize that the things that you want to be in God, sometimes God is the one actually holding you back from those things because those things will destroy you. You know how we, you know, how we all love to be like massive billionaires. Do you understand? We love to be like massive billionaires. And you're like, God, man, if you can give me that money, you know that your kingdom is sorted. You know. <laughs> Lord, I just need that billion. Every church that needs it, I release one billion. I'll be known as the one billion donor. I don't donate less than one billion. So... And you're telling God, God, just bless me. You will see something. <laughs> and God knows that your heart is caught up by greed. And the day one billion enters your hand, your waka will change. You will never be the same again. You will not be able to handle yourself. You will not be able to. You don't know what to do. You, have, you ever, have you ever got into some place where you don't know what to do with yourself? <laughs> because it's too massive for you. So God holds back some breakthroughs from us and grows capacity in us first. With me, everything God gives to me, be it a car, be it children, be it a wife, what God does with me is that he kills the thing in me first. Like I remember, sorry Hadiza, once again. I remember writing a poem and saying that poem, Hadiza must die. Because the process of acquiring Hadiza was so rigorous and so difficult that I had to beg God to kill the desire of Hadiza inside of me. Yes, like a God, Hadiza must die in me so I can regain my freedom. <laughs> well, paralyzing love. Oh, by the way, those of you who don't know, Hadiza is my wife. So before we got married, what I'm talking about, like the desire was so high for me to be one with Hadiza. So I wrote a poem for her and put two beach chairs overlooking an Atlantic Ocean or something like that with quiet white sand on a deep blue seabed. And I wrote a poem under it and I said, one day we will find the world, just the two of us. <laughs> and she will read it and nod her head and say, mm. I didn't realize that our world would not just be the two of us. It will be four bambinos. Four bambinos will follow us. By bambinos, I mean children. For those of you who don't understand my lexicon, you know, my lexicon is pretty sophisticated. <laughs> I'm just goofing. I hope you... <laughs> 
And I wrote a, a nice treatise about how they, and God had to deal with me about the reason why. Why this particular person? Why this particular journey? And God released her to me and real fear. My heart just caught the day she said yes. I don't know about you guys. Many guys are very confident now. But think about me. 25 years ago, I wasn't this confident. You understand? I was just a sandals wearing, you know those short sleeve safari with, uh, you know those brown sandals that you strap at the back, you clip at the back, safari wearing, button, you know, this three button safari. That's all I had. The sweetest food, but there was a food in Hadiza's house. I was a young man just trying to make it out. Just all I had was master's degree and big talk. I had master's degree early. So, and then I read philosophy. Hi, come and see my ideas. My, I remember my friend, High St. Elias, he's now in Prior in Cape Verde, working for ECOWAS. And we will sit down and daydream about the castles we will build, about skyscrapers we are going to use to build new cities. I'm still going to build a new city, amen. amen. God gives you the dream early in your life because he knows something profound must come out of you. I'm beginning to see more and more that the people God gathered into Ecclesia Hills are nation builders and significant people. People who God wants to give an assignment to do something awesome in him. Over and over, I have seen that God has drawn people to me who he wants to make leaders. And right now, God is actually making me to begin to raise training boot camps for these leaders. For some people, it's only six months you have. For some people, it's only one year you have. And all of a sudden, you're going to stand up and step into all that God has in store for you. And God doesn't want you to be the kind of leader that the world produces. God doesn't want you to be the kind of owner, business owner that this world knows. God doesn't want you to be a part of the corruption, the brokenness that subsists in the land. God wants to reconfigure you on the end inside and I can see more and more that God is drawing us in word and in counsel into this building project for leadership and that's why I thought to bring the message Jeroboam and Rehoboam these two people defined kingship in the entire Bible more than anyone else I know we know about David I know we know about Solomon I know we know about these people but these people were actually foundation layers. The people who were pivotal in shifting the nation to another level is Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And that's why we're talking about them today. Please open your mind and open your understanding. These people are both you. Say, I am Jeroboam. Say, I am Rehoboam. Uh, you guys don't like, like my pronunciation. I, like they say, American pronunciation, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But I'm going to call, just call it Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Boam. Yes. So let's read this together. First Kings chapter 11. There's quite some scripture reading, so I'm not going to 
I'm not going to go through all of it, but let's read, let's read some of it. It's a, a, a message that goes over four chapters. First Kings uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So I'm trying to compress it within 30 minutes so you can see how difficult that assignment is going to be. But let's try. So the Lord became, one, two, go, let's read together. God became angry with Solomon because his heart has turned who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded therefore the Lord said to Solomon because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So there was already an instruction at the time of Solomon that the kingdom was not going to go to his son. God was going to rip the kingdom and give it to Solomon's servant. So what God really is doing is trying to pass the button. God is trying to pass a button to you. God is trying to ask you to pass the button to someone. It's a button passing this morning. You know what a button is? My kids do relay, especially my second daughter. She does four by hundred relay and four by hundred huddles relay. And I, no, I don't know, four by two. Well, whatever the case in relay, they pass a button. Yeah. Four by hundred, and then yeah, four by hundred, and then is it two hundred really? Okay, so four by two hundred. Okay, four by hundred, four by two hundred. Yes, so she does two hundred, uh, one hundred meters. She does huddles, and then she does this four by hundred relay as well. In the relay, one person runs for a hundred meter and passes the button. Once the person passes the button then the, the, the job of the other person is to run another 100 meters. None of them wins, except they all win together. If anyone drops the button, the race is null and void. You guys understand? But if everyone passes the button accurately and they run together as a team, they win together as a team. The work of God is not a 100 meters dash. The agenda of God is not a 100 meters dash. It's a relay. So God hopes that if we don't finish the assignment in our time, our children will carry the baton. So that's why God sends particular individuals to us to raise in such a way that we can pass the baton to them. But if we die and our bones are, are carried in the grave, our children can run the race and finish it on our behalf. Whether it be in business, whether it be in spiritual work, whether it be in building a church, the idea of God is not that you will run alone. The idea of God is that we will run in companies. And that when our time is done, we'll pass the button to the next. So there's a curse in Malachi, which I'm not going to go into, the curse of the fathers and the children. The Bible says, if the generations are not able to transfer the baton, I will strike the earth with a curse. That's a message for another day. 
But God designed it for us to pass the button. So God may be asking you to pass the button. Or God may be asking you to receive the button. Receive the button. For many of us this morning, I think it's about receiving the button. God is passing you a button. There's someone around you who has been raised to build you up in spiritual things. There's someone in your family who God has used to culture the atmosphere of God. And now God is asking you to take over. Take over and run. Hallelujah. Take over and run. This morning we're going to break the conversation into about five loose topics. Rehoboam and his counsel from the young and the old. Jeroboam and the building of the future nation. These are the five areas we're going to talk about. Let's start from Rehoboam. I want you to bring out your Bibles. Let's read 1 Kings 14, 21. So we're not going to turn, we're not going to put it on the screen, so you have to read from your Bibles. In the next season, what God will be expecting from us will be to read our Bibles. So let's practice this. 1 Kings 14, 21. And Jeroboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of the, all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, the Ammonites. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed more than all their fathers had done. For they built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And they also perverted persons in the land. They did according to the abominations of the nations which the Lord has cast them cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He took away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his father in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama, an Ammonites. Then Abijan, his son, reigned in his place. Rehoboam was Solomon's son from Nama. The Ammonites, Ammonites, according to the Bible. So the lady from Ammon, the Ammonites. So remember that Solomon loved many strange women. Solomon married 700 women and had 250 concubines. I don't think anyone in the world has that record right now. I know there's a king in Swaziland who has many wives. 
And I know Fela tried. But no one came near Solomon. 750, I mean, how do you talk to them? Talking to one, I'm always watching my leg. 750. But this woman from Ammon, who Solomon really loved, her name was Nama. And because of that, the baby that came from her, you understand, was specially beloved to Solomon. He was raised in a bougie way. You know? It's incredible when you have that son which you prefer. That was Rehoboam in the house of Solomon. I'm sure Solomon must have had hundreds of children, obviously, right? How do you pick a king from among your sons? It's incredible. But Solomon pampering of Rehoboam made him to be like a spoiled brat. He didn't know how to wield authority. He wasn't really in charge. Do you understand? His servants walked everything around him. And as we read, there was a war between him and Jeroboam, who happened to be a servant of his father. Do you guys understand? He was always afraid of something about, about Rehoboam. He was always threatened. He was always insecure. He was always unsure of himself. Even though he was royalty, even though he was a prince, so Solomon represents those of us who come, who grow up properly and were raised, but were never taught responsibility early. And as a result, when we come into the place of authority, we begin to struggle. So Solomon rose up and tried to exert his power, power which he never tried. He didn't know the boundaries of power. So the nation gathered to him at a time when his father was about to die. The nation of Israel gathered to him. And when his father died, the people recognized a guy who had been banished called Jeroboam. He had been banished into Egypt. So they invited him back to lead the conversation with this new king. And they said to him, Jeroboam said to Rehoboam, along with the elders, when you see the new, you're the new king, but there's somebody who the elders is standing with, the elders who advise your father, they are standing with a guy called Jeroboam, and they are asking you for a deal. So they came to Rehoboam and said to him, can you make our yoke lighter? Your father yoke was heavy. Yeah? We will serve you. And Rehoboam said, give me three days to think about it. So he went for counsel. I'm trying to cut the story short. So he went for counsel first to the old people. And the old people said, speak kindly 
Speak wisely. These are his father's advice, as the Bible says. First Kings 12. Speak what? Kindly. Speak wisely. Reassure the people. Because your father is full of white elephant project. Solomon was too extravagant. And where did he get the money from? The people. He taxed them heavily to build a temple. He taxed them heavily to build a mansion for himself. His palace was incredibly extravagant. Of course, he was a businessman who opened the doors to, to business, from, to wood from off it, for gold from somewhere else. And the Bible says concerning Solomon that the gates of the Jerusalem were open 24 hours. He was the first person who started a 24-hour business. So at nighttime, timber, sheep, gold, fruits, fragrances were coming into the land. He had that wisdom to do unfettered business. Solomon was so wise, but along with it, the people bore the brunt. And the people wanted a, a cooler administration. And they said to him, relax things. And they said to him, if you serve these people, they will serve you. All Solomon, all Rehoboam needed to do was to know how to serve the people. And the Bible was in, said that the council of this was saying, speak peace and you will know peace. Then he went to the young. And the young people told him, oh, like really, you're, you are, <laughs> these, these old people are trying to use your head. Your dad reigned. Now they don't want you to reign. Right? They want you to <laughs> just be a walkover. You are a pushover. They were telling him, young people were telling him, you are a pushover. They walked into his insecurities. They walked on it. And then Rehoboam rose up with anger and came to answer. And, and he answered according to what the young people told him. And they said to him, tell them that your pinky is bigger than your father's waist. Tell them that your father's yoke was something, but you're going to make it heavier. We all have to make sacrifices. Tell them that if your father used chains, if your father used whips to whip them, you are going to use chains to whip them. He rejected the counsel of the old. And the Bible said that day, the whole elders, his, counsel, his father's counselors, and everybody stood up with him in the meeting. You know, normally, if a king, yeah, if a king gives authority, they'll get you killed. But when the whole nation stands up and leave a king sitting down, it is, who will you rule? That's exactly what happened to him. Everybody stood up. And then the, one of the elders declared, to your tents, O Israel, it's not only in the house of Jesse we have an inheritance. David is not the only one who will control our lives forever. We're tired of the reign of David. It may, but don't forget, God already told this to Solomon. So this we're acting out in a theater of something that had already been prophesied. 
And it was incredible what was happening in the theater. Learn this as organizations change. Learn this as you build businesses. Learn who the real power holders are. Hmm. Some of us, we do business, but we're not wise. We're trying to use force to drive things. We're trying to use strength. We're trying to use youth to drive things. There's a story of the young Turks. I had two friends who were hired by McKinsey and Company from Atlanta to come and run their Nigeria office. And these two people became, became hired by one of the top bank leaders in Nigeria to come and become GMs in his bank. And in that time, there was, and as I'm, not, I'm trying not to call names, you understand, because it's the example you need, it's not the story. I know some of you always read, read behind the scenes. There are some people here who read me, they already know the names of the two people. <laughs> Do you understand? Calm down, be calming down. <laughs> Do you understand? Just illustration, just see this. And there was an AGM of logistics in that bank who was seemingly junior. So the GMs who came in are obviously senior to the AGM, right? And but that AGM was the one who decided who got what cars and who decided who got what houses. It was an AGM, but he was responsible for those roles for, do you, do you guys understand? So the, as they approached the AGM, one of them was like, oh yeah, wham, wham. here's my letter, here are my privileges. The other one sat down and said, oh, Oh, we just sent from, we just recruited from here. How are you doing, sir? Do you have children? Sat down with this man, said to him, what is it like to run the bank? Can, what can I, if I'm coming as a young, young Turk from Harvard and everything, uh, how do I run it? She sat down and listened to the AGM and made him her friend. Do you understand? So, as she sat down with him and talked with him and leveled with him, the other one was still firing letter, send me my car, send me my house. While, and then the official cars for GMs at that time, I think it was a Prado and a, you had two cars as a GM in that particular bank. It was a Prado and a Toyota Camry. You know, for the lady, he gave her a Mercedes-Benz for the four-wheel drive, and he gave her an Audi. While for the guy, he delayed his things by one month and gave him a Prado and the Toyota Camry. Do you guys understand? Whatever privileges the lady wants, the guy answered him like that. Why? It wasn't because she was, you know, some of you, just so saucy in the workplace, he said, I, I don't know how to rub egos. I don't know how to massage egos. I just say it as it is. I don't know how to go around people and stay around people. You know, I just, I'm a, I'm a normal, I just, it's, 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 <laughs> you understand? I don't know how to, you know, it's my entitlement. So give it to me. In a short while, guess what happened? The bank leadership shifted. Guess who the new director, executive director was? The AGM moved over them into executive director. You understand? 
could they both report to now? The AGM. That's how he raised her up. He is the one who became her career sponsor. Raised her to become director of operations. Raised her to send her into international operations for the bank. Did everything. She became a significant individual just by wisdom. There comes a time in the workplace where we need tact in human relationship. The story of Rehoboam is the story of a tactless young boy who was raised in a bougie lifestyle who didn't know how to handle his affairs. And as you step into the corridors of leadership, God will require you to negotiate. Negotiate your way in. Understand the power game. Understand the play at the place of work. Understand the wisdom of God. Borrow the wisdom of God as you enter the workplace. And God will prosper your leadership journey in the name of Jesus Christ. As you sit in front of me, I see leaders emerge with the wisdom of God. Say amen. I see you step into new doors by the finger of God. You think all you have now is everything there is to you, but God is bringing you more. God is bringing you into more doors in the name of Jesus Christ. God is raising you professionally to stand with the kings in the land. In the middle of transition, God is repositioning his people in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, you will be a good leader. Yes, you will lead the people accurately in the name of Jesus Christ. The outcome of Rehoboam was that he read wrong the nation power base. He couldn't interpret the power game at play where he was. He read it wrong. He thought he was the one in power. He didn't know the people were in power. So he read it wrong. He didn't know the elders were in power. He didn't know that Jeroboam the servant had become a prince among the men. He read them wrong. He thought that they were going to be, still be his servants. And that's how he lost 10 out of 11 tribes. You know, the 12 tribe, the tribe of Levi does not have any territory. So he lost more like 11 tribes. And the nation broke that day. They gathered around Jeroboam and made him king. As they say, Good times produce weak men. It's not weak men. It's actually unaware men. Men sedated by drugs and alcohol. And if you're rising in leadership, make sure you're not weak. Make sure you're not a weak man. Make sure you're a powerful man in the spirit. But the weapons of your warfare are not natural. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Say amen. amen. God wants to raise strong men. God wants to raise men of power. God wants to raise men who can lead. God wants to raise sons of righteousness. And some of you here, you are being groomed by God to step into leadership positions. You are being groomed by God to step into kingship. In the name of Jesus Christ, you will be an amazing leader in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was the pride in Rehoboam that resurrected the prophecy. Prophecy actually speaks to the time of, for the knowledge of the character of people in the future. So sometimes when God prophesies, he says, like, I know what this guy is going to do. It's not like God is locking the person. The person always has a choice. God, Judas has a choice to refuse to allow the devil to enter him. Do you understand? Rehoboam has a choice. 
he had a choice and God would have provided another way if this is his plan. But, Rob, but, but this Rehoboam guy broke the nation by his weakness and by his lack of wisdom. Hallelujah. And one of the things that God wants us to know is that superiority complex is a dangerous thing. Do you understand? Superiority complex is dangerous. This is life lessons we're learning today. Say amen. Yes. The next question I want to ask you is, do you sometimes feel like you're a nobody in your eyes and God is blowing your mind? God is asking you to be something. God is bringing you to opportunities. God is bringing you to things that you never thought were possible before. I know this message looks like it's just teaching, but I'm going somewhere. Give me some time, okay? Give me some time. I need your attention. I need your attention, guys. I need your attention. Can I have your attention, please? Some of you are distracted already. Can I have your attention? Do you feel like you're, no, like you're going somewhere? You, are, you don't feel like you're all that, but God is putting great visions in front of you. God is showing you massive things. But you feel like, ah, God, I'm not a pastor. Why are you showing me these things? God, I don't have any money. Why are you telling me that I'm going to build this skyscraper? God, why are you showing me these massive things? Where's the evidence? That was the story of Jeroboam. Let's read this together. 1 Kings 11, 28. Let's read the one on the screen. We're just going to read this paraphrase and I'll fill you up with the rest of the story. One, two, go. Now... that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it in 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Sarah Solomon and give 10 tribes to you. That is so weird. If you, some of you, the prophet will not speak before you beat him up. You know how difficult it was to buy clothes in those days? This guy just bought a brand new raiment. And then as he stepped into the field, met a prophet, a wild prophet called Ahijah, who grabbed him, removed the clothes and tore it. All the while tearing it, he wasn't saying anything, just kept tearing it. Is that not crazy? How many of you have done crazy prophetic things before? You know, God will ask you to do something like that. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> he tore it into 12 and gave him 10 pieces and then began to speak. Thus says the Lord, may prophets arise here who can do crazy things in the name of Jesus Christ. May you be that prophet in the name of the Lord. May you not be so self-absorbed, so ashamed, so limited that you're not able to express God. I release the grace of holy expression in your life in the name of Jesus Christ. May you enter into a season of doing wild things in the name of Jesus Christ. May God enable you to 
carry the prophetic grace in the name of Jesus Christ. One of the things God is doing is also raising prophets here. This is a prophetic house and many prophets are coming. But it won't be the prophets who stand and just prophesy for their belly. It won't be the prophecies who stand to just give away words that those people will favor them. In this story, there were prophetic encounters all through. So, next slide. Jeroboam was a servant of great capacity. He had grown in skill. There was a school of what is called the school of Joseph, which Jeroboam ran. He ran the school of Joseph, which is the school of artisans. They were very good artificers. And because of that, um, Solomon gave him a leadership role. And he began to build that in that leadership role. As he built in that leadership role was when Ahijah met him. But this thing that Ahijah did leaked out into the land. So there was danger. Obviously, God gave the prophecy to Solomon. Now the prophecy has gone to the person. So Solomon can now mark the person to whom he was going to tear the kingdom from him and give it to. So he had to run to Egypt. It was only until Solomon died that Jeroboam came back to address Rehoboam. Do you understand? He was a man and a king of the people. The people loved him. He was a grassroots guy. He was like in Lagos, who would that be? Grassroots. Portable. <laughs> Or MC, uh -huh. I didn't call his full name. Grassroots guy, you know, rough guy. You understand? But guess what? He was the real power broker. He was a real power broker. Let's go on. This thing happened, and all of a sudden, Rehoboam. Jeroboam became king. He couldn't believe it. He became king. And not only king, his master, who is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had only what? One tribe. He had how many? Ten. Do you guys understand how big this was? So, let's read this together. Jeroboam said to himself, if the people, oh, you guys are not flowing with me. Oh my God. One, one more time, let's read it together. Jeroboam said to himself, if the people keep going to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the Lord's temple, someday they will want to be ruled by their old masters. They will want to be ruled by King Rehoboam of Judah, and then they will kill me. What is that? Fear. What is that? Inferiority complex. What is that? Imposter syndrome. What is that? Being small in your own eyes. God has given you a whole nation, and you still feel small. God has given you an opportunity to etch your name in gold, but you're still poor in your eyes. You still feel small in your own eyes. King Rehoboam put one golden calf in Bethel 
and the other in the city of Dan. What a terrible sin this was because the Israelites started going to the cities of Dan and Bethel to worship the cows. Jeroboam also built temples at high places and chose priests from just anybody in the tribes of Israel. He did not choose priests from the tribe of Levi. Because of inferiority complex, this guy began to do rubbish. He built two golden cows and said, these are the gods, exactly the sin of Aaron. Golden calf. And he said, these are your gods, O Israel. Worship them. Set one in Dan. Set one in Bethel. And then he began to lead a whole nation astray. This sin became the definitive sin that ended the ten tribes of Israel. They're called the lost tribes. Before Jesus came, the ten tribes were not associated with Judah. Jesus came to only Jerusalem. The ten tribes were lost. They had been driven away to all the nations of the world. Why? A king who did not feel kingly enough. A king who did not step into the things that God had given to him. A king who always feared that his master was going to take over the land. A king who rules with an imposter syndrome. A king who never believed for once that they could be the person God will use. The biggest challenge for us many times is not that God cannot use us. Is that can we believe? Many of us came from the streets. I understand that because I came from a farming community myself. At 10 years old, I was a farming boy carrying a hoe on my shoulder and rustling cassava and potatoes and yam. I was pounding, I was raising, turning sand for the mounds of yam and evaluating my success by the size of the yam heaps I raised. Really, I could be a squirrel hunter. I could actually be one of those boys on the Lagos Ibadan Expressway selling squirrels by the ear. It could have easily been me. And many times, because we are so well aware and close to where we came from, we forget that now we are kings. Now we've been raised by the power of God. Now we've been given a place to stand. Now we've been given words. Now we've been given a ram to administer. Now we've been given authority to express. And the way to express this authority is by stepping up to the plate. Is by leaning on God. Is by trusting the God who gave us what he gave us. Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So, I don't know whether you can see this very well, but this is, this is Rehoboam, and this is what? Jeroboam. And this is a timeline from when Solomon's time was 931 BC. BC means before Christ, so the time counts and doesn't go up. It, comes, it drops to zero. Zero becomes 
then it becomes AD, right? You understand timing of history. So this was before Christ. So Rehoboam and Jeroboam was somewhere right after 931 BC. And look at the kings. Jeroboam, Nadab, his son, Basha, Elah, Om Zimri, Omri, Ahab. You know, remember Ahab, the one who did the, when Elijah did the contest. You understand, Micaiah, Obadiah, all of them lived around Ahab and Azariah. The worst was Ahab went to marry the daughter of Jezebel. The story of Elijah starts with what? The story of Jeroboam. Do you guys understand? Elijah did not need to bring the contest if Jeroboam did not lead the people astray. Jeroboam built two altars, one in Dan and in Bethel. And be, hey, guys, raise up your mind, right? right? This is actually a little bit of Bible study. Jeroboam built up two altars, and from the time when he died, no other king knew. The new kings who were born did not realize that the worship God was in Jerusalem. They now began to look at Dan and Bethel as the new places where you worship God. They, they didn't also understand that the priesthood was only for a particular set of people. The new people who were becoming kings did not understand. So they just stepped into the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Read the whole of 1 Kings chapter 15. The Bible said, this king did good. But the only problem, he continued in the sin of the son of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. King number one, king number two, king number three. I want you to call the names if you can see them. Say Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, Ahab, Ahaziah, Joram. The only person who did good was Jehu. But even then, he didn't finish well. So next slide, we'll continue. See, count from there again. Jehoahaz, after, after Jehu was Jehoahaz. Then you have what? Jehoash. Then you have Jeroboam. You have Zechariah. You have Shalom. You have Manahem. You have Pekiah, you have Pekah, and you have Hoshea. In the time of Hoshea was when the Assyrian kingdom came and wiped out the ten tribes. Guess how many kings? Nineteen kings. No one could upturn what Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, did. Two hundred years, nineteen kings, the whole nation was a mess. There was all types of things happened. There was death there was war. There was leprosy on a king. A king died with his leg rotten. There were so many things. God showed them sign after sign for them to come back. They were never able to come back. Why did God drive out the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites from the land? How many of you know why? 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 It's not because he promised Abraham alone. Remember he told Abraham in Genesis 15 that by the time your children go to exile and come back, the cup of the Amorites will be full. What does that mean? Now I'm taking you to spiritual postgraduate, right? Please give me your brains. Do you understand? The cup of the Amorites means like if Amorites stand in heaven, they cannot accuse God of injustice. 
They can't say, God, you are unjust. You removed us from our land and you gave it to your people. They can't. Why? Because the Bible says the cup of the Amorites was full. What was full mean? What was the first commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And the second one, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. The sins of the Canaanites, of the Perizzites, of the Jebusites was the idol worship. So Jeroboam comes and sets up idol worship, which was the reason why God drove them, drove their enemies from the land and gave them the land. Do you think God would be fair if he left Jeroboam to keep on ruling and his own tribe to keep on living the land? When people worship idols, their land kicked them out. When people worship idols, their land kicks them out. Idol worship is a sin that God hates. Whether graven image or whether men, God cannot stand when we have other gods but him. Somebody used to call Jehovah, Jehovah jealous. He's a jealous God. He cannot stand it for you to have your attention fixated on anything. For example, some of you are here and you're treating God anyhow. Do you understand? Your attention is not really here. You're between your mobile device and your funk. There's a personal funk around you, right? You're not really, like imagine if you stand before, how many of you go before even any president and be, and be flipping before your phone and just be slouching around and just be watching to see what the time will be? You never give God your attention. You never really are enraptured by what is going on. Like you have God, you have things that are flowing around you like a wave. Thou shall have no other gods before me. I shall have your total attention. So sometimes we think this thing is just something of the kings. No, it is actually something bigger. That God must have preeminence in your life. That God must rule in everything. That you cannot build, you cannot make one mistake of setting up an idol that replaces the place of God in your life. And when we set up these idols, whether they be men, whether they be things we worship, whether they be things that are important to us, we lead a whole people astray. Would Jeroboam ever have known that he would lead 19 kings and the whole nation into destruction? Do you know these people never came back? They never came back. They're the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Google the 10 lost tribes and see what you'll find. Assyria came and scattered them. Rehoboam, that one just thought that his own battle was to fight Jeroboam. He didn't know what his battle was. Like all he needed to do was to return to the Lord. How many kings here suffer needlessly because they don't know that all they need to do is to return to the Lord. Come now, let us go back to the Lord and he will heal us. For he has turned us and he will bind us up. After two days, we will stand in his side. On the third day, he will raise us up. May grace come into your spirit for you to know how all you need to really do 
is to cast down the idols, cast down the idols, cast down the idols. I don't know what the idols in your life look like. I don't know the things you worship. I don't know the things you place ahead of God. I don't know what the priority in your life is, but God cannot stand detestable idols. God hates idol worship. Tear down that idol in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel the wave of the Holy Spirit. Lift up hands here all this morning. Raise up your hands and say, Lord, I hand over myself to you. I tear down my idols. I tear down my idols. No more idols. No more idols. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. There's nobody you're giving to me that is more important than your purpose in my life. There's no human being that I will make into an idol, oh God. You are my all in all. You are my everything. And because I have you, I have strength. I come back to you and I destroy my idols. You are my chief object of admiration. You're the one I desire. You're the one I long for. You're the one I want. Lord, I give my heart to you. I'm putting away my idols and turning my heart to you, my God. I'm putting away my ambition. I'm putting away my desires and turning my heart to you. I renew my heart before you. In Konamalisha Labarita Masaya, Nekosanda Masaya Rabo, Heshanamo Libra Dosta Mahaya, Lekoshekuta Malebra Nosta. Thank you, Father God. Renew in someone the work of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The scene of Jeroboam, 19 kings, 200 years, wars, misfortune, leprosy, death, 10 lost tribes, exile. Was it worth it? Ask someone, was it worth it? It's time for you to preach to someone right now. You've put many things before God said to them, Say to them, don't be, don't, be, don't be afraid. This is a time for someone. Lay your hands on the person next to you and say, you put many things before God. But only one thing is necessary. I counsel you today to lay down your idols. Bring it down. Bring it down. Bow before the Lord. Release that idol. Say to them, release that idol. Tap them on their, on their laps. Tap them on their hands. Say, release that idol. Release that idol. Many things are necessary, but only one thing is important. Release that idol. Release that idol. Maybe the idol is a position that you, that you hold on to. Maybe the idol is a quality of life. You know that if you leave that relationship, you're going to suffer. Maybe that idol is someone in your life who you lean on as a crutch and you know that the person is bad 
for you, but you can't break up. You can't break up. Release that idol today in the name of Jesus Christ. Thou shall have no other gods before me. This is the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. 19 kings, a whole legacy. They handed him a whole nation. He grounded it to powder because of fear. Imposter syndrome. Not feeling adequate. Thinking that somebody would steal the nation from him. Hallelujah. Today, what does Jeroboam look like? Number one, it looks like Jeroboam imposter syndrome. Say that to someone. Jeroboam imposter syndrome. That is when God has given you a place, but you don't feel good enough for that place which God has given you. God has raised you to a level, but you're always trying to be humble about what God has given you. It's a Jeroboam imposter syndrome. You're always trying to fight those who review you. You're always trying to make sure that nobody says anything bad about you. You're always trying to protect yourself in the thing that God was the one who gave you. That's a Jeroboam imposter syndrome. Number two, we are notorious. Like, you know, like notorious BH, notorious. Yeah. And 50 Cent in his book, The 50th Law, said that you should desire not only to be loved, but to be feared. Because he, he wrote this book together with Robert Greene. Robert Greene wrote The 48 Laws of Power, the most useless book in the whole world about how to hurt yourself and hurt the people in your world. And he says, if you use this law, you're going to come in power. And then he wrote another one called the 49th law. So he came to 50 and wrote another book with 50 cents called the 50th law. And this book, the hypothesis of it is that you need to be feared, not only loved. You have to have that notoriety. Many of us, in desiring to be feared, we're actually trying to create a man around us. So when I see people, when they come around me and I'm so flat and ordinary, I can gist, I can laugh, I can play with children. They're telling me like, Pastor, like, ah, come on, put something around you. Do you understand? People are telling me to put something around me. In the last church where I pastors, I used to be in the executive floor and the senior pastor's wife came to me and said, Moses, you are too accessible. You're too accessible. You need a man. You need to be hated. You need to be notorious. You need to be... <laughs> Do you guys understand? And some of us feel like that's what we need. For people, like I'm too flat, that's why they don't respect me. I don't need that respect. I don't need it. I, don't need it. I want to always remember that my name is Moses. My brothers call me Moses. My last brother, John, there's 20 years between me and him. He, he doesn't call me Uncle Moses. I could give birth to him. 
He calls me Moses. He speaks up the phone and says, Moses, I love it. Guess what Hadiza calls me? Moses! And I start running down the stairs. Yes, mommy! <laughs> I love it. Keep your name. What's your name? Remove the title. We Nigerians, we love worship. We love it so much. Hey, God. We like to be notorious. I remember falling into trouble with one woman from America who came to preach. She was our guest minister. Her husband was pastor. And then I mistakenly called her Mrs. She came and met me and said, Pastor Mo, I just want you to know that before my husband was pastor, I was first pastor. I hate the disrespect that you call me Mrs. and not call me Pastor Mrs. I'm like, ah. From that day, anything she's preaching, I don't used to hear. <laughs> Do you guys understand? We love notoriety. We love that mystique. Let God announce you. Everywhere I go, nobody used to know who I am. I have gone to many baby dedications. The, the parents were gathered with Baba Riga, with uh, Agbada. I will come with my white sneakers and skinny jeans. Then they will look at me, the old parents will look at me like, they say, the, the young person who knows me will say, this is our pastor, Pastor Mo, Pastor Mo. And the parents look at me like, Kilele. What kind of pastor is this with tight jeans and uh, no, just walking anyhow, like no cabot, no presence, no big hair, <laughs> no entourage. <laughs> we like that notoriety, we like that massiveness, we like to be notorious. Say Rehoboam. That's Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Jeroboam. He was also Rehoboam as well. Rehoboam just rose up to, to exercise his power. And God began to work on me and said, let me announce you. When I finished dedicating that baby, guess who? The parents would kneel down and say, Pastor, pray for me. There's one of my other child that is not doing well. Pastor, pray for them. They, they taste the power of God. Let the power of God announce you. Not your own protection for yourself. Not your own preservation for yourself. Carry power. Carry divine authority. Carry the Holy Ghost into every room. Not your clothes. Not your perfume. Not anything announcing you. Let the Holy Spirit announce you. Say Amen! The things God gives you, you don't have to be the one fighting to protect them. You don't have to fight to protect the anointing. The anointing is protected by the Holy Ghost who gave it. God's kingdom is not about you. It's about Him. He must be honored. He must be preeminent. He must take the stage.
Rehoboam was a man bigger than everyone. His words were amazing. Jeroboam became a lily-livered man. He couldn't cope with Rehoboam. As a result, he tried to do himself in. Today, remember that God's kingdom is about him. God is changing the power base in Nigeria. God is changing the power base around you. God is bringing you into new rooms. If you believe it, say amen. God is announcing new season upon you. If you believe it, say amen. God is raising your power in spiritual things. If you believe it, say amen. Despite everything that is happening in Nigeria, God is changing who you are. If you believe it, say amen. God is raising the authority level in your life. If you believe it, say amen. Are you an unshakable vessel? Are you an unshakable vessel? Lift up your hand and say, I'm unshakable. Always standing in the grace of God. May it be to you according to your faith. Hallelujah. If you're a Rehoboam, I have two more slides and I'll release you today. If you're a Rehoboam, know that you are born into royalty for such a time as this. The key, three keys, humble yourself. Every Rehoboam needs humility. Number two, serve and listen. Serve people. Serve. The elders said to Rehoboam, if you can serve the people, they will serve you. The most difficult thing is actually love. Most Rehoboams don't know how to love because people come to take and take and take and take from them. As a result, they don't believe anyone. If you come, you've come to take just like everybody else. So the test of a Rehoboam is can you operate in love? Can God teach you how to love? If you've been that person who has been an instrument of blessing for many people, after a while you get into apathy, into donor fatigue, into being like ah, everybody comes to take. Who is, you know, you are those people who nobody gives you anything. Everybody's always coming to collect from you. Just know that you're a Rehoboam. May God teach your heart to love in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a Jeroboam, listen to this. Number one, trust in God. Number two, avoid idolatry. Number three, remember that God keeps what he gives. Number four, remember that the fear of man is a snare. This is Lee Kuan Yu. It's the guy in Singapore. When they, and this is the Singapore, this is exactly a real picture of him surrounded by the people of Singapore. When they got independence from the British, they were begging Malaysia whether they can join Malaysia. Malaysia said no. So he was forced as the father of the nation to set up a new administration and begin the nation of Singapore. What he did was he executed all the corrupt people. Corruption carried capital punishment. He sanitized the nation. 
He brought up and built structure after structure, included the Muslims, including everyone, and built one of the strongest economies in Asia, Lee Kuan Yew. And he was born again as a believer. And the ethos by which he built that nation were godly ethos. As a servant of the people, he put himself down. He wore ordinary clothes. He lived in an ordinary house. He made a difference. Now he's dead. But the rumor remains about him. And a legend remains after him. A good name is more beautiful than money. Lee Kuan Yew represents a leading light in that Asia region about a man of righteousness who stands and builds a broken nation from the ground up. Do you guys understand? The nation is still so clean today. Nigerians are always going there and taking pictures and say, oh, if you drop chingum in the street, they will arrest you. Somebody built it. And guess what? Many nation builders are here today. If you believe that, say amen. I'm not faced by what has been destroyed. I'm actually keeping my eyes on the new builders. I know we think a lot about the presidential election, but actually this week, about 300 other people started new roles. State governors, House of Rep guys, local government, House of Assemblies, like literally thousands of people. It's a time of change. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of newness. And God will count on you to rebuild the ruins. If you know that, say amen. amen. I see in many of you that building grace. Nation builders are sitting here right now. You know, God showed me a man and said to me, this guy will reform pollution in the Niger Delta. And I started praying with him like one year ago. And God said to me, this guy will reform pollution in the Niger Delta. And I started praying with him. God, shared, God is showing me different people who are going to do different things in different sectors. And they are all sitting in this church. We may be a small congregation, but we are a mighty people. May the devil never blind us to think like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. May we always have our trust in God. May we always hope in God. May we always know that everything God gives us, we also have the power to keep in the name of Jesus Christ. May we never fear a man more than we fear God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 